Hello and welcome to this week's Parley, uh, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I am Vikas Thu, your host for today. This week we are discussing the state of the economy. Uh, you know, of course, uh, after India's economy uh, virtually collapsed in the first quarter of this year, uh, contracting about twenty four percent in the first quarter. But this was obviously the impact of the nationwide lockdown, uh, which was aimed at curbing the COVID nineteen pandemic. And in the last few months, as uh, unlocking of the economy has taken place, we see some activity limping back to a semblance of normalcy. Some would say uh, some economic indicators from September and October, whether it's power consumption or GST collections, uh, purchasing managers in indices, they suggest things are improving. Uh, but uh, question on everyone's mind is if this is a sustainable recovery or it's an expression of pent-up demand which is combined with India's festive season spending. To discuss this, we have with us today one of India's brightest industry captains, Dr. Noshad Forbes, who is the former president of the Apex Industry Chamber in the country, Confederation of Indian Industry. And he's also the co-chairman of Forbes Marshall Limited. Uh, along with him, we have Dr. M. Govinda Rao, who's an eminent economist and has been a member of the 14th Finance Commission, the Economic Advisory Council to the Prime Minister, and has also previously served as a director of the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy, and uh, as a director of Institute for Social and Economic Change. So welcome, gentlemen, to this uh, podcast by The Hindu. Thanks, Vikas. Thanks. I would like to start with uh, Dr. Forbes, uh, possibly get a sense from him on how has the ground situation changed for industry uh, since we last spoke in March, when soon after the lockdown was imposed, then of course things were uh, difficult for everyone, including industry, to operate at that time. How do you view uh, the changes since then? Well, because obviously things have uh, improved greatly. Uh, when when we had the lockdowns at the end of March, as you know, uh, our lockdowns were amongst the most stringent in the world. Uh, we st not only stopped uh, most movement of people, uh, but we also stopped all logistics. I think we were probably unique in the world in stopping logistics as well and the movement of goods around the country. And then we also stopped uh, most manufacturing with the exception of essential supplies. And both those things were relatively unique and it actually led to a huge disruption uh, in April. And I think companies across sectors saw a virtual stoppage of output and activity in April. That continued into May. Towards the end of May, things started opening up. But because of the way in which we had done the lockdowns, which is with this really drastic, stringent stoppage and the logistics that uh, was, stopped, was stopped, it took a while to get things back uh, and operating and operating with a relative degree of smoothness. It took, I think, over a month. And it was only middle of June, end of June, that companies, I think, really started getting back to some degree of normalcy. And that's the reason for the first quarter numbers that, uh, that you mentioned, the minus 24% in GDP growth. Um, and uh, uh, since then, things have been recovering. If you look at where we are now, I think there's a very different picture that emerges uh, depending on which sector you're talking about. So if you take pharmaceuticals and chemicals, if you take food and beverage, 
if you take tractors, if you take two-wheelers, if you take consumer durables, these sectors are all reporting uh, good performance. And indeed, many firms in these sectors are reporting growth on last year's average numbers. So uh, end of October, they, all these sectors, I would say, there are many firms and maybe even some of these sectors in the aggregate are reporting growth in real terms on last year's numbers. Uh, then at the other end of the scale, you have sectors like uh, travel and tourism, uh, which is still really struggling. It's really badly hit. Uh, I hear of capacity utilization numbers that are between 10 and 30 percent, uh, you know, so really, really struggling as of now, uh, and uh, a very long way from recovery. Uh, construction and real estate are also struggling, and retail has been struggling. Now, in the last month, because of the run-up to Diwali and the festive season, uh, retail has seen some improvement, but the improvement has been concentrated in high street stores and not in shopping malls because people are still afraid by and large to go into shopping malls and wander around shopping malls. So I think we're still seeing these three sectors uh, of, uh, of you know, travel and tourism, uh, real, construction and real estate and retail, these three very employment intensive sectors that are still really struggling and probably all struggling at levels of performance that are still if you take the average year to date at, uh, uh, at uh, under half of last year. So you have this very differential performance between sectors, some that are doing okay, and some that are really struggling. And then you have others that are sort of in between. And uh, in terms of uh, supply chain constraints, do you feel that the situation has eased uh, or uh, yes, so manufacturing sector. So, so supply chain constraints uh, were of, uh, if you like, there were sort of three three levels of improvement. The first was from a complete stoppage. Uh, then it would then you know things started were permitted to open up. So that was, if you ask me, the first level of reopening. The second level of reopening was that where we started getting over those logistical hassles and so on that we experienced in uh, in in May and June. Um, so we got to a certain level uh, that was uh, that was more that was more near normal, uh, and then third level of opening up really uh, has been well you know different state governments have uh, kind of interpreted the lockdown needs in their own way. So uh, you know some states would have uh, uh, would close every other day. Some states would say that uh, you know, retail stores have to be closed on weekends, which is when people want to go to them uh, and have time to go to them. So you, know, so you had very uh, sort of uh, idiosyncratic, I would say, you know, uh, invention of, uh, of one's own policies. And those supply chains continued to cause disruption, uh, I would say, through Q2. Uh, in October, uh, again, I think things have um, things have improved further, and I think most of those constraints have uh, have gone away, uh, and so we've seen much greater normalcy. Um, so, but I think the, the point I'd emphasize is that what we we still do not have 
complete control on the virus. I mean, we can talk about it a bit, but we don't have complete control on the virus. And, and until we have complete control on the virus, we can't with complete confidence look to the future with, uh, with certainty. Uh, because there's always this doubt, for example, you know, what, with what's going on in Delhi just now with, you know, 6,000 to 7,000 cases, fresh infections a day. Um, you know, there's a big question over what's Delhi going to do? Are they going to go into some form of lockdown? Are there going to be restrictions on movement, etc.? And there is no transparency and clarity that, look, if you have this kind of increase in cases, then this is how you lock down. If you have this kind of improvement in the spread of infection, then this is how you open up. It's, it's not difficult to put that together. I mean, you know, many countries around the world have done this. Germany has uh, has this very transparently in place for a large country. Uh, and uh, it provides some certainty and direction to people that they, they know what to expect. Hmm. Fair enough. Dr. Rao, how do you view the economic policy response to the pandemic effect? Uh, on the economy and of course we've seen a couple of stimulus packages and so on but most rating agencies view them as uh, actually amounting to very limited fiscal spending so um, what do you think of the uh, policy response so far and where do you think we stand uh, uh, yeah. Naushad has given a very good uh, overview of uh, what is happening on the ground right um, let me go back a little and then say that look economy has already been slowing down when the lockdown was announced and most important thing there was that investments have been coming down over a period of time in fact to say you know you know it's just about 26 percent of gdp which is um, which is a structural problem and that of course the pandemic compounded the entire uh, economic scene uh, and now you have a huge problem of uh, low investment and you know banks are not willing to lend the, the banking crisis has not been addressed to in any satisfactory manner uh, and then on top of it you have a lockdown now lockdown is not uh, you know completely gone as uh, Naushad mentioned uh, you have the entire uh, hospitality industry out. You have the air travel not taking place. Even generally, travel is not taking place. Tourism is not taking place. The laborers are not available for construction industry to 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 come up. Um, so, and then, of course, there are still there are quite a few hotspots. And uh, as I said, malls and organized retail is still um, you know limping. Uh, in this uh, situation, one of the things that was hoped was that um, the government would come with uh, a good fiscal package. Uh, that has not happened. Uh, in fact, uh, in the first uh, Atmanirgar pa package, it's mostly providing liquidity uh, you know, to the to the equ economy. But then you see if the if the the manufacturers are not will, you know sort of willing to take a buy, you know you can't really you know sort of availability doesn't mean that to see they actually get it. Um, there are problems of that nature, so investment continues to be slow, which is which has the long term implications. Um, and um, uh, now, now one of the things you know they do have a problem of fiscal space. 
and so the the entire spending so far by the government additional spending was just about 1 1 to 1.5% of gdp and uh, the recent you know sort of the second stimulus package basically has um, you know sort of uh, assumed that the money is not fungible because the the people the, the white collar workers the government employees would already be you know, making some spending now they have um, you know the bonus and, and you know that uh, ltc uh, funds etc etc uh, but then you know i mean whatever and, and then of course they also get the fiscal adjustment so they will you know sort of the total impact of that is not going to be large uh, on, you know, on uh, even on the commodities with more than 12% gst uh, gst rate so you have um, and then one of the things uh, now that um, you know the gst uh, numbers are showing a rise uh, not not because of the uh, you know sort of economic revival or um, um, you know um, the the festival demand or anything of the sort but my own hunch is that at last they are able to get some technology um, uh, platform in, in place uh, at least they have started with uh, more than you know sort of e invoicing for more than 500 crore companies and you know it's not the total number of uh, taxpayers are less the karnataka data shows that 59% of the the turnover is by people with more than uh 500 crore turnover their tax paid is just about 24% uh, but that that is that's an important uh, number uh, which be, and then they are talking about expanding this into 100 crore uh, by january 1st i think you know the tax compliance might improve i don't know it is, maybe it is too early to say uh, that it is because of the compliance Uh, or too early to say that this uh, increased uh, gst uh, collections will continue but but there is some hope and this is the time for the government to come up and say that you see i mean most of the construction materials you see today whether it is cement or steel or paint or any of these they are all subject to 28% tax they are not simple now you you know i mean this, this you know it is not you know whether it will increase or decrease is not the question you know you need to really reduce those rates so that it's at a time when the economy is picking up after this lockdown i think that would help similarly the vehicles you know 28% plus you have um, um, you know you have the cess and in some cases it comes works out to be 50% now you may say that you see the the low demand is not because of the the uh high rates of tax um, as was mentioned by the revenue secretary in his uh, interview with the public but only by reducing the tax rate you can increase the demand you know this is that's basically the thing. and this is the time where they can really think of doing uh, you know not only you know spending additional spending but you know um, some some look at the um the gst collections and the entire uh, this compensation saga was unnecessary at the end of the day to really look at uh, in any case that's behind us uh, i think uh, the government will have to come up with this you know sort of sufficient uh, you know a quick response including 
you know monetizing you know encoding some of the privatization and then you know sort of spending on you know investment mm -hmm. you mentioned part of it would be uh, you know the increase in compliance could possibly be uh, the rationale for the higher gst collection also if you look at you know september 2019 uh, we had already started seeing a negative growth uh, in most uh, high frequency economic indicators so partly it could also be do you think the base effect uh, because uh, uh, no this 10% increase is over the last uh, october's uh, number uh, you know by, i mean it obviously the base if it does have this thing but then you know you have a collection of 1.05 lakh crore uh, which is you know the the excess of 1 lakh crore was done only in january so in 10 months you know sort of in 8 months this is the highest so i think you know from 95000 crore to 1.05 lakh crore is you know the 95000 crore in september you know uh, this year um, that's a, a substantial increase and um, you know i mean you can't say you know festival demand because most part of uh, september was you know you know the inauspicious month and and obviously the, the most part of october was inauspicious and um, you know diwali is coming in november uh, so i think that festival demand thing will come substantially now uh, and then of course economic revival you know pent up demand i mean these are all things things have been happening and i'm not very really certain so would you say that we'll only have a better picture uh, of whether we're really out of the woods on the economic front maybe after november uh, data goes when festive season is all behind us and we see a sustain no i am not saying that um, uh, we will have a rosy picture uh, any time because as i said the structural issues need to be addressed and then they should be addressed quickly and um, you know obviously you know you may have a better gst collections but that's and that actually should open up the the opportunity to reform the gst you know when the revenues are increasing you can get around get, you know get the states around and saying that let us do this um, but if the revenues are not increasing obviously they will not come round uh, so gst company could work on that but um, you know i mean even then the second quarter uh, gdp growth will be substantially negative maybe in the region of something like minus 9 9 to 10% and um, we will have to see how, how the G third quarter gst gdp will work out dr forbes uh, one aspect that you would obviously also be seeing in your own uh, units uh, is that are you seeing uh, employment coming back to normal see at least in formal sector like manufacturing jobs uh because we are still seeing cmi data saying that october un unemployment rate rose again uh, we are also seeing in uh, rural india a uh, spike in manrega claims in october so uh, in at least in the formal manufacturing sector that you are closely uh, working in uh, what's your sense on employment pattern so my my sense is that formal sector employment uh, is reasonably stable um, that uh, we've actually seen, uh, we've seen. I think we've seen reasonable normalcy for formal sector employment. Where there is, I think, greater stress is in uh, is in all these sectors that uh, you know, you know, CMI data that you referred to shows a very substantial uh, unemployment rate 
for people who are salaried employees. You know, so now these salaried employees are actually not so much manufacturing employees. These salaried employees are more, let's say, you know, we're talking about the stress in the retail sector. It's people who used to work in shops, people used to work in hotels, restaurants, etc., and they used to get a salary every month. And those that that I think is where the the biggest uh, the biggest long term hit is, uh, and getting that back in place again. Uh, is going to take a while. Uh, so I think there's that's the area that we need to address. You know, we've seen very little in the way of actual addressing or support for stress sectors uh, by by the government. The only thing that we've seen is a uh, is a program through the RBI for uh, for one-time restructuring of stress sector companies. Uh, but that's not a support program. That's a, you know, uh, that look, if the company is not viable at the current level of operations, how do you restructure it so that you make it viable? Uh, that's not a way of actually enabling employment to continue uh, and keep keep that kind of consumption uh, running. So I'm more concerned about these stress sectors and the effect it's going to have in the longer run um, on the economy. And to just come back to uh, a point that uh, Govinda was, was making as well, you know, the, the, I think, I think we will, you know, and, and the question that you asked, will we know when we get the November GST data? I think we'll have a better idea when we get the December GST data. Because the big question in everyone's mind is that, uh, is the pent up demand question, you know, that how much of what we've seen of the good sales of consumer durables and so on in September, October is pent up demand. And I think the answer is that no one knows. And we will only know, we will only know when, uh, when we see the first month of sales after the festive season. Um, and, you know, is it, is it that people decided that, okay, look, I haven't bought all this for so long. Uh, let me now go ahead and buy it uh, before Diwali. Uh, or is it that we have indeed seen a good solid recovery uh, back to consumption levels that we were more used to last year? That's a big, that's a big question. Uh, but I think uh, the other point that Govinda mentioned, which I think is a very important point, was his, his longer term perspective. You know, he, he made the point that we came into, the, into COVID with a, with a rapidly slowing economy. Uh, you know, we'd seen seven quarters of successively lower GDP growth uh, coming into coming to the end of last last financial year, uh, and and very sluggish investment. Now, for many many years, I mean, you know, slowing and sluggish investment that shows also in the capital goods sector growth numbers. One should say reduction in uh, in output numbers. Um, you know. It all, it all, and you look at the import data for machinery, you see that being very subdued and falling, all indications of very low uh, widespread industrial investment. And the question is that as the effect of COVID goes away, um, what, what trajectory are we going to return to? Are we going to return to that, that earlier slowing trajectory? Or are we going to return to a trajectory that we were more used to in the 2000s um, and in the 1990s uh, of uh, significantly increasing demand, uh, driving significantly increased 
uh, investment in more capacity. Uh, and uh, and I think it would be good to talk some, I think, about that longer term perspective too. Yeah. Uh, I, in fact, one thing I want to ask also was because I, what you mentioned about, you know, certain type of uh, formal employment struggling in the stress sectors. Uh, how do you think is, how critical is it to sort of uh, regain that form of uh, that form and subscale of employment because uh, India's domestic demand is largely driven by this growing middle class that we've been hearing for the last two decades. So you know, so so there's there's a limited amount that the the government can do to create employment uh, in any direct way, uh, and I think there are there are three areas that I would like to see uh, stimulus uh, come in the form of. Um, and I'm using the word stimulus in its very broadest sense. Uh, let me, let me, maybe I should use instead of the word stimulus. Let me say there are three things that I'd like to see that I think would trigger uh, trigger more substantive growth in the economy. Those three things are first that the government should pay its bills. Um, there are large outstandings that are due to companies, small companies, large companies, public sector companies. Um, state governments, uh, you know, uh, disputed uh, disputes that have been that have been award where, where, where awards have been made, but this disbursements have not uh, tax refunds, you know, the government keeps saying that we've refunded, uh, you know, all tax refunds up to some value. Yes, that's true. But by value of total refunds that are due, uh, that the, the, the refunds that have been made are small. Uh, as a proportion of the total that's due, so so you know, so simply pay its dues. Dues. It's a very it's a very direct, immediate way in which uh, cash and liquidity can be put into the economy. That's a very immediate thing. Second is investment in infrastructure, um, and investment in infrastructure will not show up in immediate activity on the ground, but it's the most productive thing that we can do as an economy uh, in to get long run growth really triggered and moving. Uh, and uh, one of the ways in which investment in infrastructure can also be spurred is by actually the union government paying the states their GST dues uh, and paying them upfront because uh, a lot of these infrastructure projects uh, are actually stagnant for want of finance by state governments in terms of them being able to pay companies according to the schedule that they had earlier worked out and they just don't have the money. And the third, I think, investment that could usefully happen is in public health systems. Um, we've seen we have this immediate need with regard to COVID. There's lots of opportunity there. There's lots of opportunity. And again, that would require working very closely with the states. So there is there is need to increase uh, investment in public health uh, infrastructure. There's need to in, increase investment in public health research. There's need to increase investment in things that are as basic as clean water supply systems and so on. So I think there's there are lots of opportunities there where the benefits to society in the country will flow in the long run. The costs are not so huge, right, for public health infrastructure. Um, and uh, I think the the receptiveness to doing something in this area is huge just now because we're all suffering with this uh, uh, with this rampant uh, virus. Dr. Rao, uh, what would you say apart from, of course, the government has uh, claimed and argued that 
some of the reforms that it has undertaken in labor and agriculture markets in the last uh, couple of months are significant. But is there a, a larger reform wish list that you would uh, want to fast track at this point? One is um, that, um, you know, I mean, of course, many some of these reforms that they have initiated are important. And um, um, but then the issue of implementation comes in. You know, in all the things that we have seen so far, implementation capacity of the government has always been in question. And uh, so they need to be implemented. Of course, some of the states have um, gone about um, trying to undo what and the agricultural reforms in some way or the other. But at least, still some of the some of the reforms that you know have been done will stick, and then you know, eventually, you know, the basic thing about states like Punjab is that they are likely to lose something like 5,000 crores of rupees of Monday fees. You know, they, they are worried more, more about that. In fact, you know, sort of, um, there is a committee, there was a committee under Monte Kahluvalia, which, you know, which actually suggested that this EAPMC reform must be undertaken for Punjab. Anyway, um, so those, those are important, but then they need to really be implemented in a proper manner. The second thing is, we have a, an obsession, an obsession called small is beautiful. You know, I mean, when you are talking about employment, at the end of the day, you need to really encourage labor-intensive manufacturing in a, at a scale in which they can compete with the rest of the world. And if we were 99% of the small and medium industries, I mean, in fact, they're, you know, sort of are, are um, uh, you know, less than um, any minimum size, um, then, you know, obviously you can't, you know, compete with the rest of the world. And there have been several uh, policies that have encouraged them to remain small. I mean, so don't, they need to really work, work on that. The third thing, second, Third thing that I would say is that, you know, I mean, I'm only emphasizing what Navshad said about, um, you know, you know, 60% of the public spending is done at the state level. Now, if you start them, obviously the public, you know, sort of, you can't have any stimulus worth the name on the ground. Therefore, one of the important areas where, you know, things can happen is in urban infrastructure and, you know, urban infrastructure development of urban infrastructure is the most important thing and then you know urban centers are the centers of economic activity I and mean, you know, obviously one has to really work on that and there are many other you know infrastructure issues that needs to be done and the most important thing that i would say you know there has been a, there has been a the policy has been retrograde in the last three four years has been the increasing tendency to become protection i you know, I, you can't really survive in this globalized world by being, you know, by inward looking. I mean, to say that Atma Nirbhartha is something like, you know, means many things to many people, but then at the same time, the you can't be going on erecting uh, tariff walls. Uh, so you need to really, uh, you know, get that. And then, of course, you, the, the, this particular pandemic has shown us that Massive investment in wellness centers is extremely important in the case of health. And obviously, you need to really substantially increase uh, health expenditures on uh, expenditures on medical education and uh, training. I mean, these are some of the things that I would uh, put up front. 
and we should encourage the you know labor intensive industries to to get a proper size and then hold on protecting the small and medium saying that msmes msmes i mean and that's not going to really help um, in creating jobs uh, thank you in fact that's uh, brings me to a question i wanted to ask dr forbes you know this uh, one of the key uh, ideas that they've uh, moved recently is a productivity uh, production linked incentive scheme to set up manufacturing cap- capacities in certain sectors uh, along with which there have been like dr rao said uh, some steps some tariff curbs so that you know uh, they get a certain level of protection from cheaper imports so how do you view the one the schemes uh, the whether this is something that can help uh, specific sectors and secondly how do we sort of ensure that like uh, we are not creating uh, basically a system where till the tariff protections are there uh, these producers will f- remain uh, you know beneficial for the domestic economy but they they won't really be able to scale up and become part of the global value chain so is there a need for a sunset clause uh, for all the tariff protections that we are coming up with so so i think without doubt there's a need for a for a for a very finite defined sunset clause um you know the let's i think i'll just pick up on govinda's point also you know that un, from 1991 to 2017 every year so still 2016 actually every year so us be more open as a country than we were the previous year you know tariffs were coming down uh, more and more uh, more and more sectors were encouraged to uh, to export more and more uh, of the country and sectors were open for investment since then uh, we've seen round after round of tariff increases and incre- and protection that's been really rising uh, very substantially i mean it now covers i'm told over half of all uh, tariff lines uh, the protection increases that we've seen take place over these last three and a half years or so so it's a very substantial increase in uh, in protection and if we are serious about being major global suppliers um increasing protection is not consistent with that approach so we keep claiming that the current uh, atmanirbhar program uh, is an outward looking program uh, we need to live that in our actions uh, if we see that program as being largely one of protecting domestic manufacturing we will not be able to compete in exports now the pli program that you mentioned uh is exactly meant to meant to incentivize deepening of supply chains locally uh you know you vertically integrate you backward integrate whatever you get some supplier of yours to invest in more capacity or better technology or whatever such that they can substitute some item that you were previously importing so for example take air conditions which are now where we are now no longer allowing air conditions to be complete air conditions to be imported when you say okay now uh, you know we used to import many of our compressors so now in, invest in capacity to make compressors for air conditions locally so okay you can buy this you can have a discussion on is this the right thing to do but okay you buy the argument that this is a way of deepening the supply chain for air conditions such that 
we can emerge as a major air conditioning exporter. But if we are serious about emerging as a major air conditioning exporter, then we better have a finite time frame in which we say, okay, 30% tariff today, next year 25%, year after that 20%, year after that 15%, and in five years' time or six years' time, we will be at 0%, right? And you make it very clear and you stick to that time frame regardless of the protests and the howls that you hear from industry saying we're not ready, we'll be, you know, we'll be hurt by this, too bad, right? Here's the schedule, this is how we're going to do it, uh, now work towards this, use the protection to invest in whatever backward integration you need to develop whatever suppliers you need, but get competitive and get internationally competitive because in six years time or five years time, they're not going to be, there's not going to be any protection in this field. If we do that, I think it could have a very beneficial impact. It could combine uh, the program that we're talking of of deepening supply chains with a more focused approach to being more aggressive in export markets and of really seeing how we can how we can become a, a bigger and bigger international goods supplier. Uh, I think one last comment. You know, uh, we I think I think we don't appreciate enough how far we've come as an economy since 1991. In 1991, 15% of our GDP came from trade, imports plus exports. In 2012, at the peak, 55% of our GDP came from imports plus exports. Last year, 40% came from imports plus exports. At Even at 40%, that's a higher ratio than China, and that's a higher ratio than the United States, right? So even at 40%, India as an economy was more open last year, right? And on this one metric than China or the US. Yeah. So I think it's it's good to recognize the the distance we came, but it's also good to recognize that since 2012 to 2000, 2020, we saw a slowing GDP rate. And, and Sajid Chinoy uh, has has shown that almost the entire slowdown in our GDP growth in these eight years is because of the falling share of exports in these eight years in GDP. And if we actually had not seen that falling share, we would not have seen uh, the fall in GDP growth that we've seen. Mm. That's interesting. In fact, uh, that brings me to my next one of the last set of questions uh, is... Uh, you know, exports, we saw some growth in September, but we have again seen a dip in October. Partly, they are blaming a uh, uh, shortage of containers, a uh, hike in sea freight charges and so on. However, I mean, global headwinds being as they are, uh, you know, one, you have countries in Europe going back into lockdown. Uh, of course, uh, US, we don't know where the elections will end up by day after tomorrow, what, what have you. Uh, also, interestingly, if you have noticed the new uh, plan that China is talking about for its coming five years uh, of economic and uh, uh, government planning, where they're talking more of a, a, a domestic, you know, tapping the domestic market more, becoming a little more self-reliant, again, a word that India is also using. So given these uh, changes in global dynamics, how can India sort of uh, recalibrate its approach to uh, expanding its trade basket? Uh, 
you're, that's 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 to me Vikas. Yeah, yes. I think both of you could possibly weigh in on this. Uh... Sure, sure. I mean, very very quickly, and then uh, I'd like to hear Govin. The the you know the uh, I think there's huge opportunity still for us, uh, even with our forty percent uh, of GDP coming from imports plus exports. We should recognize that as of today, uh, we total total we we account for one point seven percent of the world's goods exports. Um, at independence, when we had a very small manufacturing sector, we accounted for two percent uh, of the world's uh, exports. So, you know, we have a long way to go before we become uh, a threat to anyone in terms of uh, in terms of you know flooding them and flooding their markets and so on. And uh, when we've gone when 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 we've gone round, you know, with CI, uh, you mentioned my role with CI. Uh, you know, as president a few years ago, when we would go around to different countries, uh, we were always given the message that Indian companies were welcome, Indian goods were welcome. And all of these countries, whether it was in Indonesia or whether it was the United States or whether it was uh, uh, an Iran, uh, were giving us a message saying, listen, we would like to see Indian companies more active here and selling us more things. And I think that's an opportunity that we still have, and we will have for many years. Where there is a where there is a, a time value, where there is a, a an opportunity that we need to grab now, is that there are there is a real move to diversify supply chain for many many products away from China, uh, not so much in in place of China, but a China plus one strategy, a China plus one approach to supply chains, and so far, in labor-intensive sectors like garments and footwear, those plants have been going to Vietnam and they've been going to Bangladesh. They've not been coming to India. Uh, and there isn't a big opportunity for us there, and it's one for us to take. And that's where if we implement the labor reforms that we've passed now effectively at the state level, and uh, it requires then cooperative federalism, which... which um, which we do not have in practice today. Uh, if, if we see labor reforms being effectively implemented at the state level, we have the opportunity of really starting to finally tap into some of those opportunities of labor intensive exports that we've just missed the bus on uh, for decades. Dr. Rao? <laughs> Well, I think we do have opportunities. We have uh, potential. We have the opportunities, but with the right set of policies, we can really, you know, go further. As I mentioned, you know, sort of, if you allow, and you know, the manufacturing sector to have the right size, uh, economic size, and um, you know, that that could really help. Uh, in many of these industries, um, you know, so, so in, in exporting from many of these labor-intensive industries like textiles and footwear and, you know, and, and what are you. Um, in, in fact, um, increasingly there will be protectionist, um, uh, you know, increasingly what will happen is that um, many of the countries will diversify their imports from China and Investments will be will, will be diverted from China, and 
you know, if you have the right set of policies, you can take advantage of those. In fact, uh, Arvind Pangaria in his book uh, talks about, um, you know, at least setting up two very high-performing economic zones uh, in uh, the states of Gujarat and uh, Andhra Pradesh, close, close to the deep bridging ports, uh, where, you know, you provide them all the flexibility and, uh, you know, clearances and then, you know, so, and uh, don't um, you know give any protection to size etc etc um, and then you know orient uh, them towards exports um, you know that's one of the things that means that there is a lot of reform that we need to do there are areas like chemicals and pharmaceuticals where we have a great opportunity to do now with the, with the you know particularly when the vaccine comes out and if, you know so, you know if we are able to have the right strategy we can proceed uh, uh, to have a better uh, export orientation uh, there's a lot of um, uh, you know sort of policy response that is required uh, and you know infrastructure or ease of doing business and you know not in terms of the the you know in terms of what um, you know ticking of the boxes ticking of the boxes but actually the Manufacturers must say that there is really the result on the ground. One of the important things uh, when it comes to scale uh, that hampers Indian manufacturing or other sectors is the, you know, archaic land acquisition laws. And given that uh, India is now biting the bullet on tough reforms like labor and farm markets, is this possibly a good time to revisit the land acquisition norms? Uh, Dr. Forbes? Absolutely. And, Sorry. Yeah. No, both of you, I would like your opinion. No, absolutely. In fact, you see the factor markets, particularly land and labor, you need to really look at it much more carefully. And land acquisition is one of the most difficult issues uh, that the manufacturers face. Uh, and that's something, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I talked about that um, large economic zones of uh, 500 meters where you can really, um, 500 square hectares where you can really, um, you know, provide them. Um, some of the state governments are talking about it. Even Uttar Pradesh is talking about um, providing land, etc., etc. But then, uh, you know, th that has to be implemented. It has to be on ground. I mean, you can't really leave everything to the bureaucrats. And they have been used to a particular way of doing things. And there has to be action on the ground. So, so you know, um, my, my view on, on land acquisition as it relates to, you know, should we should we make it an easier, quicker process? I think, uh, uh, yes, very much we should. Um, and is this a good time to do it? Yes, it's a good time to do it. Um, but then let me say that I'm not sure that that actually constrains, that the availability of land constrains your average, medium-sized, normal industrial project. Where it comes in the way is for very large projects. You know, so you want to set up a large, uh, you know, aluminium plant, steel plant, whatever. Though, there, there it, there it has an effect. Uh, and those are the projects that uh, that uh, that's I think suffer from uh, the availability of land. Uh, for most industrial projects, you can find land, uh, maybe at high cost. Uh, you know, with various industrial development corporations uh, of different states around the country, you can. I think you can. Uh, you can find land uh, that's uh, that's available for most for most regular uh, industrial projects. Yeah? So I think the uh, I think the bigger the bigger challenge 
for widespread industrial recovery and widespread industrial investment to start powering growth again, as it did for a couple of decades for us, um, is in uh, is in the whole spirit of enterprise and animal spirits. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it's really does your average industrialist have a positive outlook uh, for where we will be as a country in two three years? Um, versus where we are now, uh, and uh, uh, I think that has a much bigger that has a much bigger effect on uh, investment intentions than uh, than than anything else. Uh, and I think we have some work to do uh, in that area. I think there has been uh, a rise in um, in in bureaucratic discretion over these last three or four years. Uh, that is unfortunate. Um, I think it's been it's been amplified by uh, the Disaster Management Act that has given <laughs> complete pressure to bureaucrats. Um, and uh, I think that needs to all uh, be reversed. I think that needs to, we need to move back to a rules-based system. We need to move back to uh, uh, a system where we trust people to do the right thing uh, and, uh, uh, and discretion is minimized. Right. One last uh, question. I know this conversation with both of you is always, uh, it's flows so smoothly that you can, we can talk for hours, but I would not like to impinge on your time too much more. But I just wanted to get one last uh, take from both of you, given that the government has said that it's not averse to another round of uh, stimulus or relief measures, at least in the short term. Uh, what would both of you have in your wish list for this hypothetical next stimulus round that could come that could help sustain recovery uh, in a more endurable way i'll, I'll let govin go first <laughs> <laughs> well i think this obsession of um, you know first of all when they say that they are not averse to um, doing a fiscal stimulus i hope they really mean it there has to be a substantial stimulus, not just you know some pretense and saying that you know saying that this is a, this is the stimulus that we give, and there has to be substantial. As as um, uh, meant first, the most important thing that they need to do is to clear the dues first of all. To clear the dues, to you know, in fact, the the Gadkariji once mentioned that you see almost five lakh crores of uh, pending bills are there with the government. No, I mean, that is the biggest stimulus they can give to begin with. And, you know, apart from any, any other thing that they talk about. But then, and one of the reasons why they have not been doing it is because they want to contain the fiscal deficit. Now, because you see, you have a cash profit based accounting system. So the, after March, they will try to do this, that and others. But in any case, I think they have to forget about that. And they should really come out with a substantial spending plan. Particularly the, for the stressed sectors, they should really help them to, to come out of the, the problem. They created general you know, demand system through cash transfers. Um, I mean, all these will have to be done. And, you know, there's a fast track, the, you know, the, the disinvestment and privatization of some of these things. Clear that land with the public sector enterprises, you know, enterprises have. And you know, sort of monetize them and use them for um, infrastructure projects. Um, 
I think that these are the things that they should uh, do. But I'm not too sure, uh, you know, I mean, the fear of uh, credit rating agencies continues to, seems to be continuing to weigh. And in any case, um, you know, the, 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 the sound bite that we get from the Ministry of Finance is that, oh, everything is fine. There is no, nothing to worry. And that is worrying. That is worrying for us. <laughs> right. Dr. Forbes? Okay, so uh, I think we are having some trouble reconnecting with Dr. Forbes. Uh, but essentially, a lot remains to be done is what we glean from our uh, conversation with uh, one of the top industry representatives of India and uh, Dr. Govinda Rao, key eminent economist. So uh, it's still too early to tell uh, whether this is a sustainable recovery underway or this is an expression of demand that was brewing, uh, which was unexpressed in the lockdown and is now getting a chance to uh, let people spend. Uh, I think the consensus seems to be that there are a lot of reforms that the government and uh, can still undertake as, as well as empower state governments to uh, spend more on the ground to help uh, the economy revive and generate jobs. Uh, whether this uh, economic indicators sustain themselves in December is uh, is when we can possibly say that uh, full-fledged recovery is underway is um, the takeaway from uh, both these experts. And I would like to thank you, both of you, Dr. Forbes and Dr. Rao, for taking time out from your busy schedules to uh, help our readers and our listeners to glean from your insights. And it will, I'm sure, help them navigate the noise and the flurry of data uh, going on about whether the economy is back to normal or not. Uh, and we also hope that policymakers will listen to some of your advice on how to go forward from here for the Indian economy. On that note, I would like to thank both of you uh, for joining the Palais and we hope to have you back with us soon. Thank you, Dr. Forbes. Thank you, Dr. Rao. Thank you. Thank you very much.